With 2023 less than two weeks away, I wanted to take the time on this episode and invite on a dear friend of mine named Grant Nadu. Now, for those of you who have been listening to More Than Blockchain for a while, Grant was also on on episode 12 to talk about DeFi and financial freedom. And on this episode, we're going to talk about how he's balancing his portfolio for 2023, a time where the global market's probably going to be in a bear market or a down market. And so I wanted to give him the spotlight to talk about how he's balancing not only his crypto portfolio, but balancing that out with his real estate investments and his stock investments or TradFi investments. I don't think there's a conversation I've had with Grant where I didn't learn something. And I hope that you take something away today, whether you're investing in real estate, crypto, stocks, or even if you're new to investing. At the end, Grant gives some ideas about what he would do if he had to start again right now for the year 2023. One of the things that's super important for me to say before this episode is, this is not financial advice, but rather a look at what Grant is doing. And Grant shares information here that he normally would only share with his Patreon subscribers. So everyone here listening to this episode is getting a little bit behind the scenes look at what Grant is doing. And as I've said, his portfolio might be one of the most balanced I've ever seen when it comes to stocks, real estate, and crypto. I'm Jarrett Carpenter, and this is More Than Blockchain. Grant, welcome back to More Than Blockchain. How are you doing today? Uh, good now. I mean, we were just yammering about the World Cup, and I would. This is the first World Cup I've, I've followed, and I'm so glad I did. It was nuts, but um, I I have like a 10% pleasure um, that it's over. <laughs> like I can focus. I've I've not been into like sports, and I I consider them to be largely. Uh, a drag on resources and focus and dopamine, but like this was worth it every dose. And but today I'm I'm glad that I went through it, and I'm glad I've got four years till the next one. So I'm doing I'm doing great, man. Getting ready for the holidays. What about you? I'm doing great. As you know, I had uh, money on Argentina pre-tournament. Yes, uh, since did. living abroad there in 2008, and just kind of falling in love with everything they're doing. It's also I was saying this yesterday to my buddy who's Guatemalan, I am Colombian and other people just around the world, especially anyone in the Americas. Yeah. It's like, if you are in Hispanic America, meaning like in the Hispanic world and you're in Latin America, basically meaning all countries that speak Spanish in Latin America, yeah. Argentina has always been the only hope to actually like win a world title. So it's yeah. kind of like, it's a, it's a thing where I saw a map and it's like, we're all Argentine today. And it was the entire Americas and it was, you know, like the United States, Canada yeah. on down. So it, it, it's a big deal, but I, I actually think you hit on something and this is not what we're going to talk about, but I do no. think it's something I've spoken about in the past is, which is the drain on resources. It's nuts. I could see a future. And I've said this, I guess it was on Wi-Fi and water, the you know, earlier iteration of this podcast, I could see a future where golf and soccer are just not, they're things that people judge you for being a fan of yeah. due to the high amount of water that is needed to keep either the soccer field ready all oh, year sure. round yeah, yeah, or the golf course all year round. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. But and that's the world we live in. But anyways, let's shift. And I, I, I want to I I talk to you. Today, I wanted to have you on the pod, and thanks for joining, to talk about one simple idea. We're going into a global recession, a down market. 2023 is upon us. This episode will be published on December 20th, so days away from 2023. And I wanted to ask you how you're balancing your portfolio of 
real estate, stocks, crypto, maybe you have some cash. What are the other investments maybe you have and how you and your wife are maybe talking about what you're going to be doing in 2023 as a, as a couple, as, a, as entrepreneurs, as people who are, as you said on the first time you were on this podcast, momentum, you're, you know, you're more of a momentum trader. You're looking to see what, where, where the attention of the world is going and then investing. So I'm going to pass you the mic, but thank you for coming back on. And I'm excited to, to hear, hear what you got today. Yeah, we, um, it's so funny because like you were saying this and I didn't recall, I was trying to recall if we had talked about like my general methodology and, and momentum was the first word that came to mind. Yeah, well, and momentum, what does that mean, you know? Momentum is for me principle because humanity uh, and economics are to me a natural phenomenon. And we move in and out of, you know, pure capitalism to like pseudo capitalism to socialism. We move in and out of these, I think, as natural human cycles and uh, for better and for worse. And uh, as an investor, uh, my mix is changing. And so for those jumping in right now, and let's just get you a straight answer, and then we can talk about nuance, I guess, for the rest of the show. Straight answer right now, we have repositioned our allocations, 35% into crypto, 35% into TradFi, so traditional you know, IRAs and then non-IRA investment accounts, just stuff that like are special projects for me, and then 30% into real estate. Um, just prior... Just before this particular recession, it was a little different. It was like 50% crypto, uh, something like 30% TradFi and 20% real estate. I am increasing, so you can tell from the number change, I'm increasing my focus a little bit on real estate and a lot of it on TradFi um, for several reasons. The 30% to real estate, what is that? That's cash. So you, you mentioned cash to the side and you, you mentioned on the not crypto bro show, you know, you you haven't bought new stocks and or new cryptos since May. And you can talk about that on the show today. Um, I'll let you unpack that. But for me, I have, um, basically what's labeled a financial freedom account. And the default assumption between me and my wife is that that is generally real estate. The money I put into crypto are long shots and the money I put into TradFi are long plays, right? Um, uh, when I say long shots, they're long-term plays, long-term investments, and I'm dollar cost averaging. And though I mentioned words like swapping and trading when we mentioned the other show, I'm only doing that not as a trader, but just to like move money around to where it should be, but I'm always rebuilding a long-term portfolio. But real estate is where the game is at. Well, let me put it this way. Everything's going to be on discount next year and the year after. But my leverage game, that is a predictable leverage with very little risk, is real estate. So I've increased my cash holdings for sure. And, and my TradFi too, like I, I have like an IRA. I have Vanguard 500. I have some, some things I've cherry-picked. And um, uh, my real estate has outperformed everything, including crypto. Uh, in terms of wealth building, which I'm sure we might get into that in another context. So that's the, the, the quick and dirty answer, 35, 35, 30. Uh, and that is changing now in prep for the market. Now, is that what you predicted? Okay, that's a really good question. I actually had no idea. I, I guess what I thought was somewhere like crypto 40, real estate 40, and TradFi 20. 
So mm-hmm. if that was my working assumption, yeah, yeah. I was really off. I was big. I was really off on the TradFi, but I was really quite close with the crypto and real estate. Mm-hmm. And so I want to I want to just make sure I understand exactly. So before you say, uh, you know, before the last in 2020, you know, before the last economic downturn, because even though the economic downturn in 2020, mm-hmm. as far as prices only lasted for like, I don't know, eight weeks, 12 weeks until all governments started printing money, mm-hmm. you had a breakdown of 50 percent to crypto. 30% from TradFi and 20% from real estate, right? No, at that point, it was different. So this was just before this downturn. Remember, okay, okay. So yeah, so okay, then start there. Are you talking like the beginning of 20? Like towards the end of 2021 beginning into of 2022. 2022 is when that 50% started. Okay. Be- because so my wife and I, we we know that the 80-20 rule is you know a general rule of thumb. And, and you might, you know this, but not everyone knows this. This was an economics principle first. Pareto was an economist in Italy. And, um, and so as an economics principle, uh, 80% of the gains happen with 20% of, from 20% of the, of the downtime. And so people who are traders in and out every day, like these people mystify me because like I actually wonder stress and worry of day in and day out trading plus their taxes on short-term gains like – these people have to be wizards, right? And if they're if they're making money, and I challenge how many of them are really making money, I think a lot of it comes from this self shame of 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 being busy at, at what they do. Whereas with me and my wife, like we we make sure that the only stuff we busy ourselves with is earned income. But when it comes to passive income or unearned income or alternate streams of income, that stuff happens to me like watch for this drop. And so in 2020, when the market really did the COVID dive, we were sitting on a little kitty that we had been putting away for years. And it was our trigger pulling. When the market takes a dump, you buy low and sell high. We have to cultivate that mental discipline, which is not easy to go. This is one of the worst markets we've seen in years. In 2020, the COVID crash if you look at the numbers, it was breath. And if you look at the headlines, it was breathtaking. But we sat, I remember we were sitting at a coffee shop and I said, babe, like this was the moment that we said we were going to spend this money. But that's the moment you're like peak fear. And you're like, no, no, we might need this if it gets worse. It's our little kitty. And I was like, nah, like we don't have kids. We're dinks, right? Double income, no kids, right? And and so uh, and so we pulled the trigger then and and so our stack our 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 stack then was almost like fifty percent stocks. Um, at that point, it was only like ten percent real estate because we only had one property at the time. It had it has three incomes, but it, it, there's only one property, so we we count it as three doors. And so, but that only made up like ten. I'm 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 totally riffing here, but like ten percent real estate was fifty plus percent, and trad five was the remainder. It was like you know, 30 or 40%, give or take. But then that that amount we put in, and I think I've told you this, but for your listeners, that amount we put in, I think 3X'd, or 3X'd. Clo- it was between three and four X within. Yeah, I think I remember you saying it was like three and a half. Uh, yeah. You know, if you want to yeah. round to four, because whatever, but it, you know, it, it did makes really me sound well. awesome, yeah. yeah. It did it really did well. well. And at that point, we were heavy trad five. 
because we we literally came up with a group of parameters and we were expecting to hold these for years and years. So we made sure we picked dividend stocks. We got a few dividend plays and they were obscure. Like they were they were randos people I've never heard. Of. Some I had heard of, some I hadn't heard of. One of them I'm really grateful for, Saber, bro. Saber is the underlying tech to nearly every travel agency. And it was a high dividend stock, but it was in the toilet. And get this, it's an outdated piece of software. It's like written in C sharp. And which, you know, I mean, you know I have a website company, so like we know a little bit about code. And it was outdated. And and we have a family member in travel. And she would come home every day of the week and complain about how outdated this was. And I keep saying, dude, we should come up with a piece of software. She said, you can't. It is so ubiquitous in the industry that they're not going anywhere. So when we saw this came up in our, our filters and stock filters, it came up as a stock. It was something like 80% off of its high or more. And it met all of our requirements. And we're like, well, the market's going to come back. So like we cleaned up and I don't say that to impress anybody. I feel very fortunate to be operating in these principles and to really benefit. And we parlayed that plus other money that we had been accumulating into our real estate purchase, which we made in peak fear. And at the time, at the time, prices seemed like they were headed to all-time highs, but interest rates were at an all-time low. So we actually bought, you know, I mentioned to you on the other show, I like real estate because I it's not about the underlying property. I'm not fooled by it. That if I have to pay taxes on it, I never truly own it. If I stop paying taxes, they take it from me. That means it's not mine, right? Um, but what is mine is the deal and the arbitrage. And that 4% interest rate, we knew we had to secure at least one additional income stream based on those interest rates before because they were at an all-time low too. So you have to look at interest rates as like they're an asset class. Mortgages are an asset class. And you look at them and go, I mean, and there's somebody's asset and they're not usually yours, right? They're usually the bank's asset and your liability. But when you reframe investments and understand what benefits you, then you look at interest rates at 4%. It's like, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a Bitcoin maxi. There will, there will, it's so unlikely that we will ever see 4% again on an interest rate. So it's an all-time low like my stocks were. So what's the principle? So we rolled the, the, the TradFi into real estate and we were heavy on that for a little while. And so just before this last market downturn is when I gave you the more recent numbers. Um, but that's kind of how it's fluctuated right now. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes sense. So yeah. 50% from crypto down to 35%, mm-hmm. 30% in TradFi up to 35%, and then 20% in real estate up to 30%. So yeah. Okay. You've taken the 15% away from crypto and dropped it into TradFi and real estate accordingly. When you talk about, and now I want to actually break down each one of these, each one of these buckets. So you've just talked about real estate. I, my story in my head is real estate is it all rental properties? I mean, meaning all properties that you and your wife are willing to rent, meaning even if you live in a current property, you would move out of it if it became more advantageous to rent it. Um, I just want to understand that play. That's the story in my head as, a, as someone who looks at you as a real estate investor. I think that that's a really good way to talk about it because maybe someone else listening, listening to this may have real estate as a homeowner, and they may see their mortgage as a monthly investment and or, you know, putting in a new kitchen as an investment. So I just want to make sure that when you talk about real estate, you break down what is maybe your castle versus what is the cabanas you're moving around essentially. 
So yeah, like let's just let's just pop a bubble real quick. I believe if you own a piece of real estate and you live in it and it does not generate you income. So both are true. You live in it and it does not generate you income. It is a liability, not an asset. For in and me and my wife's terminology. We do not mind owning a property and living in it so long as the rents we get from it um, equate at least uh, at least take over the mortgage, at least take over the mortgage um, because they are paying for the debt. The rent is paying for the debt. I might still pay for consumption. I might still throw some in, which some months we do on this primary real estate. Um, but like we have three rents. One of those is one of my entities as a home office, and then two are long-term rentals, uh, renters, uh, another advantage of dinks. Now, what's the downside? We have other people in our home. We can't walk naked to the bathroom. We don't feel landed anywhere. And therefore, so families with kids try to create stability. Even investors think that they want to have a castle. And we always, um, it's a psychologically challenging thing to not truly unpack, build the hot tub, build the home gym, build out my real studio because I'm doing content all the time. So we'll get to that, but we don't fool ourselves that any property we're in is, is home home. We're just now about that place where we're looking at like our next investment properties, but our criteria for the next property is... Uh, not a criteria, a cherry on top, if you will. If we find a dream property from an investment standpoint, we'll just keep rolling the way we are. But we're also keeping one eye on, you know, can we find a true multiplex? And one of them is an, is an outbuilding or separated parcel that we could actually unpack in. Um, so we're looking for that. But yeah, let's pop that bubble. I, I don't think that that's an asset. That, that, that is a bank's asset, not your asset. And, and that's fine. I mean, that's life for most people. But real estate... To, to break down the 30% bucket you're talking about, I, it's labeled real estate, but it is a cash bucket. And that cash bucket, if I see some super deals in crypto or some super deals in TradFi, I'll take money from the cash bucket. So you should more appropriately or we should more appropriately discuss it as cash investment bucket. I just label it real estate because that's our dominant play. But it is it is cash to the side, and we're getting ready like you're getting ready with some small changes um, of putting cash to the side. Because you're putting a lot of cash to the side, yeah? I mean, all of it's cash to the side? Yeah. I'm just – we're going to – let's just go right into crypto next. But mm -hmm. my theory here is just that I think – and I've discussed this on – I say it as loud as I can whenever I can so people will hear me. But my thing is I think between January – and June or May of next year, 2023, is when you're going to see the lower, the lowest crypto prices before it, we get to the halving, which is in uh, the spring of 2024. And then things start to ramp, and by 2025, prices are back. So I've just been really, really patient, and I've stopped all DCAing about six or seven months ago, and I've just been looking at my budget really aggressively and saying, what can I, you know, everything that I don't need is going to just kind of be on the sideline like you, you know, before you and your wife, you know, before you and Marissa were ready to deploy in that coffee shop, I'm going to have my, co I've already had my coffee shop conversation and I'm just kind of waiting. And so let's go right into crypto because people hear crypto and they're like, oh, okay, could you break down the percents of what that looks like? And you could maybe put it into three buckets 
Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then I don't, I hate to put all the other coins in one bucket, but maybe you can, if you want to break down the rest of that, because I feel like you're a big Cardano guy, but I just want to, I want, I want to have someone walking away from this understanding how, you know, what's Grant doing in real estate? What's the example for real estate? What's the example for crypto? And then what's the example for TradFi? So for crypto, what does that look like? And are you trying to move things out? And the example I'll give is I'm trying to get a lot more into Bitcoin in this downturn, because I just think it may be the last time we see sub five figure or sub 10,000 prices. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you exactly. And, and I have this for my patron members, but like your guests will get it regardless. I have this broken down. I start like a, like TradFi. I have a conservative, moderate and high risk uh, buckets. So my conservative buckets, which I call index or blue chips, are 45%. My moderate, what I call top platforms, my moderate bucket are what I consider top platforms that have a good future. They might be lower cap, but they're probably in the top 100. Uh, and they make up 30% of my allocation. And then my high-risk total speculation, gaming, DAOs, ISO 20022, that makes up 25% of my allocation. And of the conservative, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Matic are my three. And they each get 15% equally of that 45%. Uh, in my moderate, my 30% is Cardano, Link, Chainlink, Tezos, Ripple, and believe it or not, AVAX, Avalanche. And each of those gets 6%. In all honesty, I think that's spread a little thin, and I might prune that even further. And if I did prune it further, I would do Cardano, Chainlink, Tezos, believe it or not. Tezos is weird because it had a lot of momentum. It's written in, in Rust, uh, think it's written in rust um it's very approachable platform it was largely the fan base of like the french version of crypto like it was written by a french couple and they're really into it and they they had really affordable fees and they had a lot of nfts it's now not in the public eye as much right now there's not a lot of headlines happening around it but there are still plenty of developers on it um and you know coinbase does a ton of staking with it so i still i'm a fan of that and then my my high risk my total spec uh, speculation plays. My 25% is IOTA, HBAR, or Hedera Hashgraph, Quant, Algorand, XDC, Stellar, and XLM. And I'm still stacking Sandbox, Sand. I have a bunch of stuff that I've held on to, and we could talk about that some other day. But like, for the purposes of, you know, our time together, this high speculation, if you notice, that's mostly the ISO 20022. That used to be gaming heavy. I used to have a lot. I do have a lot of mana, engine, gala, a lot of those, but I'm just holding those. I'm not stacking them right now. Wow. That's a very, very robust portfolio. And this is something I'll probably say in the intro that I'll record once we're done here, but this is not financial advice. No. I think this no. is... Grant sharing behind the curtain and being so gracious to do so yeah. to show people what he has. And I think that this is where something where Grant and I probably struggle with because a lot of the stuff we do talk about on our particular shows and on our combined show, Not Crypto Bros, is financial kind of guidance, but we don't want to make it financial advice. It's more, there's a small difference between 
here's what you should do and here's what I'm doing. Yeah. And we're trying to show you what I'm doing, what we're doing, or what Grant is doing. So I just want to say that and I'll probably say it again in the intro. But that is quite that that's quite nice. Um how did you for all those who are listening to crypto, what made you take the Matic or the Polygon from a moderate all the way to a conservative? What 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 allows you to move it into that bucket? Because for me, conservative, I think for most people, and for myself too, would just be Bitcoin and Ethereum. As far as their overall network effects and the chances of them kind of dying out, they have massive communities, global communities. So what made you, you know, move, maybe move the uh, Polygon up from the moderate to the conservative? Several things. Uh, so Matic or Polygon was um, Polygon or Matic was really a moderate platform because I make a note here: the moderates were generally platforms or specific utilities. And notice, it's like Cardano; that's a platform. Tezos; that's a platform. Ripple; it's got utility. It doesn't have high tech, but it's done so well ingratiating itself with like standard banking and Swift. And then AVAX is a platform. So it's general platforms. And that's where Matic was for me for a long time. Now, for the longest time, I only knew Matic as um, a layer two, right? It was helping, it was basically helping with volume issues with Ethereum and still does. And so when you look at Ethereum volume of transactions and, and cost of transactions, um, Amatic was was helping with that. It was helping the pipeline. And Ethereum has not solved its volume issues, right? And even now, if you catch it at the wrong time of day, the the transaction fees are still stupid relative to like Stellar with XLM, which you and I know from international transactions. And Avalanche is fractions of a penny. I mean, these are there's better, there's more affordable platforms, not better, but there's more affordable platforms. So Matic was just a platform for me for the longest time. Then I started really researching them because they came up on my radar um, because I've been bridging like them to Ethereum and all kinds of stuff. And then my, some of my stuff got locked in a bridge, not because of Matic, but because of Ethereum, like hundreds of dollars got, got locked up there. But then OpenSea brings them on and I'm like, okay, I can play an OpenSea with Polygon. In fact, I bought, um, I bought uh, an NFT from Snoop Dogg directly and i did it with polygon and it was so much more affordable and i was like okay this this is something worth looking at so just on a whim i started reading people don't realize they're not a layer two they're a layer zero meaning they have they are their own blockchain and the way they handle raffling off their spots uh, for a fee, they have even though they're more affordable, the volume of transactions coming through them is a significant. Like if you're just doing a value investor thing and looking at them as an organization, they have a a, a huge income base. Um, and then on top of that, you've got their own native NFTs, so they're expanding. And if Ethereum does not pull it together with sharding next year, I think Matic could even give them a run for their money. I see one potential future. It's not likely, but it's possible that Polygon consume Ethereum because of, because of volume and affordability. It's, it's nuts. Even with us going past the merge with Ethereum, the fees aren't fixed. And so like Ethereum is just like the US highway system for crypto right now, admittedly, and I'm going to keep stacking them. But I, I, I matured Matic as a conservative play because I think they have a strong long-term future. And even if Ethereum owns the layer zero component, 
Matic has a layer two with native platforms. People can't shake a stick at the fees. They love the low fees and find, and, and humans have an imperative to ex expel less resources. And so as long as Ethereum's fees do not compete with Matic's fees, I see a strong, strong future for Matic. And their development team is phenomenal. I mean, I don't know the Ethereum development team other than Vitalik, but the Matic development team, they're phenomenal. So um, they've never been involved in scandals. They, I mean, it's just, it's been a really strong group. So that's kind of what my reasoning was for maturing them to a conservative play. I love that. I think for everyone listening who maybe isn't into crypto, what Grant has just talked about here is the exact way to think about how to go about investing into a cryptocurrency, investing into a cryptocurrency project. You got to think about its real world utility. You need to look at its dev team. You need to look at how it plays with other projects in the space. Does it add value constantly as Polygon does to the Ethereum network? Okay, great. Will it basically mature from the little animal that sits on the back of the whale and eats all the plankton off to being its own whale? I think these are absolute great ways to think about crypto. And I often struggle to say it as eloquently as you did. So thank you for <laughs> doing that. Uh, yeah. But let's move into yeah. TradFi. Okay. TradFi is not really something you and I ever talk about, but I do think with prices being so down, there are some wonderful plays. And I wonder too, for me, if I get into TradFi, it's only because it is something to do with crypto, i.e. buying Coinbase because it's down, I don't know, 70 or 85%. And Kathy Woods from ARK Invest is sweeping those floors weekly with millions and millions of dollars deployed there. So how are you thinking about TradFi? Is it things that are tied into tech, like machine learning, AI, biogenetics, blockchain? Is it you know part of basically what Kathy Woods is going at? Are there some more conservative plays? You've talked about dividends. Are we looking more like, no, we're just going to try to get some, you know, some Coca-Cola, go to Warren Buffett. You've also talked about having uh, an IRA, Vanguard 500. How does the TradFi also then, finally, when you talk about maybe what's in your bag, how does that also play with your crypto? Is that more of a hedge against crypto? Is it balancing things out? Is it if the world ends tomorrow, is that the thing you think is going to continue on? You know, how does it play with the real estate and the crypto? So I, want to, I wanted to guarantee that I'd retire a millionaire. I wanted an absolute guarantee. And by guarantee, I mean zero risk, no assumptions. I can see the deal or next to zero risk, right? And, and you and I have talked about this. We might view risk differently, right? Um, but I wanted to mitigate as much risk as possible. And from that regard, I started in TradFi, obviously, before crypto, maybe not so obviously for others. But I mean, I started investing in 2001, and, and crypto wasn't anywhere but on some hidden bulletin board server somewhere. Like People weren't even talking really about any, there was no investability in, in crypto. Digital cash has been around since late 90s, and people forget that. And um, um, We knew back then, I think I mentioned this to Bushi, People knew back then that no one cares about privacy because that was the grand promise when Microsoft tried to get DigiCash. Um, it was like a $100 million buyout in the late 90s, and they refused because they were concerned about privacy concerns. That killed them. They, they went bankrupt two years later. And people forget. So digital cash and cryptocurrencies technically been around for a while. I started trading in 2001, and so I asked myself a question. If the worst, if, if the most probable worst case scenarios happen. I have to work a job for the next 40 years. Could I guarantee I retire a millionaire? 
and I, I surveyed everything available to me. And at the time, real estate was a little riskier. Entrepreneurship was a little riskier. What was the least risky thing? Buying the market was statistically and still is statistically over a 40-year cycle, which no one wants to do, but we have to admit it might be a possibility. I So I got involved in the, in the Vanguard 500 Index Fund because of history, because of the math. And you go, okay, I can, I can drop a couple hundred bucks a month on this stupid thing and let it grow. And I think it's done, I think it's averaged, it's doubled. I think the, the um, it might've peaked at, at different things, but I think on average, since I've had it, it's doubled. So it's doubled my money and will continue and I'll keep pouring into that. So I've got a Roth, a traditional and a trading account. Now my trading account is where we bought those stocks in 2000, but that's a different play. TradFi, I don't, I don't put TradFi in one big bucket. And I put my Vanguard as my long-term conservative million-dollar play. So um, even before I'm a crypto guy, I'm an investor. Meaning if crypto starts turning, crypto is not loyal to me, right? Investing is loyal to me. And, and by that, I mean the principles of investing. As we learned from the DAOs, you know, they didn't suddenly develop a conscience and go, you know, I promised Grant that I would do something for him. No, investments are just vehicles. Now, I am passionate in philosophy for crypto. I am a fan and will hype it. I believe my conservatives and my conservative plays, I believe they'll be there. I think the tech is there. Um, but I am as loyal to it as it is to me. And so from an investment perspective, I had to ask a brass tax question in TradFi, the Vanguard 500 Index Fund, just makes sense. Um, along with that, I started cherry picking my own plays. I bought Facebook on the open for $33 way back in the day. And that did us very well. I sold it at the time at a peak. And we, we, we made very good money on that. Um, but I wish I would have held. Uh, Google. I was going to buy Google Glass. And, uh, and my wife challenged me. At the time, it was $1,200. And the tech was just there. And I was nerding out about it. And she said, well, what is the Google stock at? And we bought some shares of the Google stock at the same price. And then it split, and then it split, and then we did really well with that. And so I've made some cherry pick plays of stuff that I understand. Um, Nintendo, I got on the rumor. So I played a stupid game called, ne uh, it was from a company called Niantic. And it was this game that was an AR game, an augmented reality game on your cell phone and you'd run around and they basically tapped into the US Department of Historical Locations. And then they it would overlay these kind of like, um, uh, it was a game where you'd run from thing to thing, but you had to actually be there on your cell phone in real life with geosynchronous or uh, uh, whatever, AR, augmented reality. And then you'd interface with this thing. And, and basically this game had this, was an experiment uh, from Google, by the way. Um, it was an experiment on, can we get people to go into the real world and play a game? And then you'd try to turn it, your, your team's color by interfacing with it, but you'd learn about the thing. Well, Niantic went off on its own. I was just into it because I was nerding out about augmented reality. Niantic went off and on its own as a company, and then I heard a rumor from Niantic's blog that they got a partnership with Nintendo. And I looked at that rumor, and what's another principle that I live on invest investing? Buy the rumor, sell the fact, which is similar to buy low, sell high. So I, I saw this rumor, and you couldn't buy Niantic, and I was really disappointed about this. You can't buy 
it's a privately held company. I can't buy the stock, and they're not owned by Google anymore. They spun them off from their X factory. And then it dawned on me, oh, oh, partnerships with the Nintendo. So if I'm buying the rumor and sell the fact, I should buy Nintendo. Dude, I bought Nintendo before they even had Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go, by the way, is the exact underlying code from this same game where it, it pulls from the Department of Registry of like um, historic sites. And then there's like a Pokemon, uh, uh, whatever, the dojo. And you go there and it's the same code. And so when I found this out, I bought a bunch of Nintendo. So my point is, is TradFi generally is my long-term million-dollar play is, you know, a set it and forget it. As close to set it and forget it is the Vanguard 500 Index Fund. But the stocks are my short-term complete speculation plays. And I've lost a ton too, right? Like, but those are some of the highlights of how I go about going, here's some TradFi, but TradFi isn't long-term and or short-term. It's a mix of both just because it's TradFi. But how does it interplay with my crypto? Uh, I am going to buy up more Coinbase. I did buy, mm, I didn't end up buying Robinhood. I will buy some more Coinbase, but in general, it is um, how it interplays with crypto is this. Crypto, even though I have a conservative, moderate, and high risk in crypto, crypto in general relative to TradFi is a little riskier. Though there's some math we can talk about, like limited supply and all this stuff, generally speaking, though, there's no guarantee of demand. In fact, if anything, the volatility in crypto has been a lot higher, just a measure of volatility, than TradFi. And so it's, you could say it's a hedge. Um, components of it are a hedge. Um, but I, how it interplays is I, I look at all of my investments holistically, and they're ranked by, you know, guarantee, moderate risk, complete speculation, complete risk, but the reward's much higher. And, and crypto is just kind of in the middle there. And so that's kind of how they inter, interface. But I wouldn't say all of TradFi is like a total conservative play. Okay, super cool. And I love the Niantic into Nintendo and thinking about, okay, well, I can't buy this company because it's private, but this one's public. And if they're doing a they're doing a collab, then I can just kind of sneak in and still get the value from that. I want to ask you now, so people are listening. They're like, this is great. This guy's portfolio is super balanced because most people maybe are into one of those things. I'm basically yeah. just into crypto and all exposure I have in TradFi really just has to do with crypto. So I kind of just think it's crypto. No exposure at this point to real estate. Many people maybe have real estate and they're getting into crypto or they're getting into TradFi because maybe the markets are just, it's just a different beast. There's Grant Cardone's multi-billionaire of real estate. He won't touch crypto or he won't touch stocks. And he just says, because I don't understand them. Just like Buffett, I'm pretty sure he's just into stocks or buying good companies as opposed to having a real estate portfolio. Now, maybe he invests in real estate through a stock or maybe he buys Zillow, for example, right? As opposed to having real physical real estate in that sense, he's staying in that market because he sees the value. So if there's someone who hears this and they're like, all right, Grant has spent so much time. He's got 20 years in TradFi. He's got eight or nine or 10 years in what is crypto post the creation of Bitcoin. I totally understand that cryptocurrency and digital cash has been a conversation since the 90s, but it finally was figured out with Satoshi's white paper. So you have those and real estate, which I think for many people, they see it kind of just as, you know, they have their home and that's it. And that's their asset. And we've talked about that earlier on in this episode, which I'm glad you called out the difference between a liability and an asset. So what is something that someone can do who maybe doesn't have any of this 
knowledge that you have. What are th- what, what's a play from each, from crypto, from real estate, and from TradFi to get exposure from all three that they can do with little to no brain power? Once again, this is not financial advice, but if someone was just sitting next to you on a bus and said, hey man, tell me about things, and you said exactly what you just said, and they're like, look, I have to get off the bus in two minutes. Yeah, yeah. What are three, well, you know, how do I get exposure in each one of these without becoming a subject matter expert? Because everything you've just said is 30 to 40 to 50 total years if you add up all the years from each sector. That's a good question. I, I live on principle, and I and my thing is is not even about money. Like my thing is freedom, and I'm big on freedom. And so, part of freedom is testing the principles, the the ancient principles, and the new principles, right? And um, and every you know every guru, every every person on TikTok and, and Instagram reels. I mean, they're trying to they're trying to tell you the shortcuts and do this one thing. Why do I have such a diverse portfolio? Because I haven't found the secret sauce yet. If I found the secret sauce and I found out that the secret sauce was Polygonmatic, you would watch me sell everything. I would sell everything but that. If I found out that real estate was the secret sauce, I would sell every ounce of crypto I had to accelerate and put my foot to the floor, so to speak, because my goal is to create financial freedom. So my first thing, if, if I was running to somebody and I'd say, listen, if I had, just not financial advice to y'all, but if I had to start over and just get exposure, because I do believe getting exposure is the best way to learn. And you're cornering me with crypto because it, it, it's conservative. Like as an entrepreneur, people think you're more risky. I think the opposite. I think as an entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur because I avoid risk. And to me, a J-O-B is the highest risk in, in most contexts, like owning a home as your primary residence is high risk. So, so avoiding risk, I would, if I had to start over and get exposure, I would, uh, in crypto, I would go to Coinbase, buy Bitcoin, and move it to a ledger, which I know is your play, right? Um, absolutely. I might then also stack Ethereum because the, the psychological leverage of Ethereum being one-tenth or one-twentieth the cost of Bitcoin right now, right now one-tenth, um, if they both move 10% up, you'd still see more leverage in Ethereum. And they do kind of move in tandem. So I, I would, But I would not overlook exposure to Bitcoin because philosophically it's so different. So if I were to move in crypto, I'd buy probably equal amounts, Bitcoin and Ethereum and Coinbase and move it to a ledger and then continue that play. In um, TradFi, I would literally open an account with E-Trade, fund the account. I don't know if I would recommend an IRA to other people, but for myself, I probably wouldn't even do the IRA. I would just start buying the Vanguard 500 index fund. That's your, that would be my, you know, I don't care if I have to work till I'm 70 again, at least I'll, I'll have money to pay for healthcare bills and that sort of thing. So that's my long-term, very boring, very lame play. And then for real estate, I would buy a multiplex or I would house hack right away. Um, I'd get an FHA loan. Jeez. I'd get an FHA loan, which is the federal housing administration. And you can buy a place for 3% down. I would buy something that needed a little bit of work, which you can get these in any market. Yes, current market conditions, given your credit score, you might be paying a 7% interest rate, but that doesn't matter if your plan is to cash flow it. So I would, if I had to start over, I'd use the FHA, put 3% down. I'd I'd have to work a job, but 3% down on a $200,000 property. Well, you can't find anything for $200,000. 
Well, when you're looking at peak markets like Denver or California and you're being an idiot, then of course it's going to look difficult. We were just looking at properties and, you know, uh, this morning, me and my wife look at properties every morning. Properties in North Carolina are more expensive than Florida, but not too bad. Properties in Denver are three times as much. Properties in California are five times as much. Like that's not the point to live in sexy places. The point is to be financially independent. And so I would go to Florida because I believe in this next downturn, even though there are areas of Florida that are overpriced, most of central Florida is normal priced. Our, our, we are a single tax state. We have great homestead exemptions. And in this market downturn, you're not, I don't think you're going to see the same 20%, 25% downturn in the price like you will in other parts of the country. And there's a lot of places in the country where they'll be a little sheltered. Um, we might see a 10 or 12% downturn in pricing, but not that bad. Um, it's not what I'm expecting. So the FHA loan is federal housing, 3% down. And then if it, if you were living in it, I would rent doors out. I would rent doors out to friends, put it on Facebook Marketplace. I don't care. Put it on roommates.com. I don't care. Make that thing make money and then stack cash. Once all those three were set up, then stack cash. If I had to start over and dabble, that's exactly what I would do right now. Yeah. That was a super good answer. I like the, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like the house hacking and I like just also just fill the rooms, you know, get yeah. the, get the mortgage to, and I'll, this is just an example. I don't know how this would even play out with the interest rates, but get the mortgage to 1500 and get the rent coming into around 2000. So you can also pay taxes and put some on the side for fixing up and all the maintenance and whatever else you need to do uh, with crypto. Yeah. Bitcoin and Ethereum. That makes sense. And then the TradFi, the Vanguard, like you said, maybe not sexy, but prudent, which is important by the market. It's statistically grown. It has not always beat inflation. I hear that, but neither is your bank account. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I would go. And that would get you treading water. So right now, I mean, let's be honest about like the fiat standard. The average person is, is like treading water with like a water gallon tied to their ankles. And so like they're, they're making it and they're coming up for air and then they're, they're below the level of water coming up for air. That setup that I just gave you, you're still working a job. You might need two jobs and you're stacking, but you've mitigated your expenses with your house. You've got a lot, you've got the psychology that your Vanguard's playing out over 50 years. So like I'm doing okay. And then you've got some speculation with crypto that you're not going to, you don't have FOMO there. You're, you're doing okay there because FOMO is making people defy the principles of investing. FOMO is making people defy the principles of buy low, sell high. They're panicking. They're jumping into Wall Street bets and they're getting, and they're losing their, what could be an investment nut. And when you house hack and you're not paying for housing, you have dramatically changed your fine. It doesn't feel like much, Grant. It feels like, you know, it feels like I'm still getting by. I'm still buying fast food. I'm still working two jobs. Dude, give it two or three years. And, and, and that will start to separate you from the pack financially. And you're going to learn some serious vocab when it comes to real estate. You're going to learn some serious ups and skills. And then two or three years come by and suddenly you're paying attention because you're an owner of all of these things. And two or three years, and you start to see cycles. And you're like, wait, Bitcoin's down, and I feel really emotionally bad about that. But wait a minute. I have an extra $700 or $1,500 because I'm not paying this mortgage. These other people are. And I could probably squeeze out a couple hundred bucks extra in my dollar cost average on that Bitcoin. And you start to catch the swings. And now you've got a little life ring. Instead of like treading water, you've got – it's not a boat. 
but it's a life ring above water. And that life ring makes all the difference over time. If that makes sense. Does that make sense? Like it's not F you money, but it's a start. It makes a lot of sense. And I, and I hope that people listening to it will, I think that analogy is really good where if you are just, and most people are doing this and this isn't, this isn't a, a shade on, on what quote most people or, or just in general, I think it's a really good analogy that if someone's living paycheck to paycheck, then they're just treading water and they're just getting their head above the water to breathe. And they can kind of look around and see everyone else and it looks good, but you can't see how much like, you know, when you're treading water after watching my friend play water polo in high school, underneath yeah. the water is absolute chaos. It's stress, it's uncertainty, it's wildness. But then even if you have that, that life raft or that buoy or that donut that you put around your waist, now your legs can kind of chill out. The chaos kind of cools down. You can actually rest above the water and kind of look around. And I think anyone who's gone from unemployment or uncertainty to a more certain or, you know, a better job and with a little bit better pay with even better benefits who are then are able to even set some money aside, even have their emergency fund and then get into investing. It just starts to look different. So with that analogy to end this, maybe where are you? Do you have a canoe? Do you guys have an outrigger? Do you have uh, dueling kayaks, you and your wife, or are you guys starting to move into more of a rowboat? And, and then if we're going to go with the analogy and you want to play with the analogy, what's the end? I don't think that you're looking to have a mega yacht. I feel like you're looking to have something that's just never going to sink. That's a great question. You know, people like follow my YouTube channel and see that I've got, you know, 5,500 YouTube followers on doing different things. And then they might see my, my, my Monday morning show and they're like, oh, he's Mr. Small Business Coaching or Personal Development Coaching. And picture where we're headed is probably more in the analogy, a houseboat with a decent motor. And what I mean is this, we, we want to, you know, we, like everyone, we want to travel, we want to take care of our health, we want to take care of ourselves as we age. Um, I think it'll take us five properties, which might amount to on the average is about seven or eight doors. Five houses, seven or eight doors, and we could probably get rid of any earned income, any required earned income positions. That's step one. Once we do that, five to eight doors, uh, or or but we we might not like we might keep one of our incomes just to keep stacking cash to accelerate. The goal is to accelerate on that real estate. So uh, to to get the analogy, we do not need a mega yacht. I think if you're making over $120,000 a year, you're still in the top 1% in the world. Let's be okay. It, it's, no one has to have freedom. You know, if you're taking care of your family and your kids, I, I have massive respect for you. But what that would allow me to do is quit making decisions for income and for looks and start making the impact I want to make in the world. Because I started as a personal development trainer. I started trying to help people kind of unplug a little bit. I'm all about tech. I'm all about crypto. I'm all about the future. So I want one foot in that world. But we started, my wife and I started as borderline hippies. We were minimalists. We want like a good piece of land that's homesteaded and self-sustainable. We've lived in an earth ship. Go check out, go Google earth ships. They're phenomenal um, technologies, believe it or not. And we want to live in one and we've lived in one before. And the level of freedom you have when you don't wake up thinking about your mortgage, you don't wake up thinking about where's my water coming from. It's coming from the sky and inertia ship and it's filtered and it's clean and you can entertain people. It's a normal house. But the, the, if we could solve that, then our house, but would be good enough. And any income at that point is travel income and what I call impact income. Launching my focusing on writing my books, focusing on training and coaching people, and and that's that's where it's going. But we have to play this game, 
And, you know, you and I debate and deliberate sometimes on fiat and where all that's at. And, and, and I love that about our relationship. Um, the game I am playing is not a crypto game. The game I am playing is a financial game. And so I have to have a staunch view of reality. Uh, there's an idealist inside of me, but I've learned in the last 12 years, idealism doesn't make good trades. Idealism does not make good trades. And this is, this is why I'm so heavy on real estate, because the leverage game, we are in a credit-based society, and, and we often critique that. Or we, people take a moral position, is that good, is that bad? I don't care. I'm wondering what the rules are of that game for leverage. And if I can play that, then we can build our metaphorical houseboat where we're well above water. We can throw other people a life ring, which is my passion. Right now, people can't help one another. And that's unfortunate. So with our little houseboat uh, metaphor, we can throw other people a life ring, we can fill our own gas tank, we can enjoy the sun, have a good time, and still make an impact and still see the world. That's kind of what we're doing. Absolutely love it. I'm I'm excited to hopefully join you and Marissa on this journey yeah, and you know check in and see how things go. Yeah, um, brother. Can you take a little time and shout out where people can follow you or find you if they want to say, hey, Grant, this is really great. I want to learn more. I want to hear more about this because I, I'm so humbled to have you on here and to be creating content with you with Not Crypto Bros because I, I say it every time I can, but you are the most, you have the most balanced portfolio of anyone I've ever met. Most people are heavy into one of those things and they disregard the others. Um, but you have exposure to everyone, which is why I think, you know, your houseboat is, is it's, it's coming soon. I appreciate that, dude. That's, that's really cool. But you know, I feel the same way. And, and, and proof is in the pudding. We'll see who quote unquote gets there first, right? Like, um, that's just my, that's just my current philosophy. And here's the thing. I have a lot of peace of mind about it and, and other people, and sometimes maxis, and I don't mean Bitcoin maxis. I mean, people who are, who are a one trick pony, there's a lot of emotion with that. And, and I, and, but focused resources are more leveraged resources. So I don't know. We'll see, we'll see who gets there first. So maybe I'll be coming hat in hand to you following you around the world when your Bitcoin takes off. Um, so people can follow me at Grant Sparks, basically stateofthespark.com. That's stateofthespark.com. You can find me on YouTube at Grant Sparks. Um, and, uh, and then like, I'm a little more active right now on Twitter, Though I wish I was more active on YouTube, currently I'm a little more active on Twitter at Grant Nadu, N-I-E-D-D-U. But if you just Google Grant Sparks, uh, you'll find me, man. Yeah, definitely. And join us on Not Crypto Bros when we do this together. Yeah, come to Not Crypto Bros as we do this together because that's super fun too. Grant, thanks so much for hopping on. I will see you on Not Crypto Bros. Yeah, thanks you guys. Have a great one. Thanks for checking out this episode and be sure to check out this episode's show notes to find all of the ways you can contact Grant. I'm also going to go ahead and leave links to previous podcasts that Grant and I have recorded both on More Than Blockchain and on his podcast. I'm also going to leave links to Not Crypto Bros. This is a live show where Grant and I and another one of our friends, Jay Harris, get on twice a week and talk about crypto, investing, tech, and other things that are happening in the space. No matter where you're listening, please be sure to subscribe to More Than Blockchain and follow us on social media at More Than Blockchain. And if you haven't already, please go ahead and check out our website at morethanblockchain.xyz. If you learned something today or know someone else that would benefit from learning about how to invest in real estate, stocks, and crypto, please go ahead and drop them this episode's link. Thanks again for checking out More Than Blockchain, and I'll see you next time.